Good morning. Uh, there's a bit of me that just thinks maybe I just won't bother because, Steve, what a, what a beautiful communion you've led us through. Um, but I also know that your, your thing ties into my thing, so I'm going to go because, actually, as you were speaking, I, I turned to Christina and said, and that's also the third point of my sermon, which means that not only are we both wearing check shirts, we're clearly also in sync in other ways this morning, which is good. What a great theme, right? We, Nikki set us off a few weeks ago with this amazing theme that we're working on through right now, the power of parables. And for me, it's, um, it's sort of made for me this theme, right? I've, if, you've, if you've heard me preach before, I think I've preached more on parables than anything else in my time here at the church. Uh, the wise and foolish builders, or sand that looks like rock, uh, the good Samaritan, or the man in a ditch who didn't fancy the help from that guy, or even in September, I preached about Jesus saying, uh, the kingdom is like a child, you've got to receive it like a child. I love the parables. So it's a great theme for me. But in another way, it's a tricky theme for me, because when you have an accent like mine, trying to say the power of parables... <clears throat> Thankfully, Anna has helped me out. So Anna has actually done me one. There you go. (laughs) If you're listening online, you won't get that joke, so you should have been here. No, not really. I'll read it. The Power of Parables. It sounds like a Sherlock Holmes novel, right? (laughs) But I do love the parables. I do think they have an incredible power, or power, as all of you and my son says it. And I love that centuries later we still get to ask questions of them and explore them and try to interpret them. So it's a really good theme for me. It's also a really good time of year for me. I love November. Uh, And it's not just because we get to like light the candles and get the blankets out. My wife is Danish, so we live that hygge, you know, that hygge. We have candles and blankets, basically flammable things and flames all over our house. It's just (laughs) a living nightmare. It's not just that. It's also not just that Black Friday's coming, right? And Black Friday, right? Anyone else like me just clicking through the websites? I don't even have a cat, but that's a great deal, right? I mean, that. That's a bargain right there. I might buy that, just in case I have a cat. It's not just because Christmas is coming, but I'm really excited about Christmas. Friends, if you haven't invited people to Cafe Church yet, this is the, this is the time to do it. What a great opportunity to bring people and show them a bit of love and joy and kindness and and start to undo some of the really bad examples of church and Christianity that some of our Christian brothers and sisters sometimes put out there. What a great chance to show a positive, life-affirming, encouraging message of what the meaning of Christmas is surrounded by Christian people. Wouldn't that be a great thing to do? But the reason I'm really excited in November is because of this. Are you ready? One more, Drew. There we go. Now, I know some of you like Celebrity MasterChef, but I don't. I don't need to see a man off EastEnders burn a beef fillet. I just don't need to see it. And I know some of you like normal MasterChef, or muggle MasterChef, as I call it. You know, like, you know, that, you know I, I'm not into that one. You know when someone's like the foodie in their friendship group? It's like, great, we can all make an arabiata. Doesn't mean you get to be on the telly, right? I like professionals. I like MasterChef The Professionals, and the reason I love it is because it gives me a chance to learn what's going on out there in some of these restaurants I don't get to go to because I have a five-year-old, 
right? I get to see what chefs are up to. And this thing happened a few years ago on MasterChef The Professionals. Who's with me, by the way? Who's the MasterChef Professionals? Straight away, I knew you guys would be with me. Yeah, right? Absolutely with me. Well, the guy who narrates MasterChef The Professionals has this amazing voice. It's this kind of like, tonight, Fania will be serving chicken. And it just makes it all way more delicious. <laughs> and this thing happened a few years ago where um, well, they all, all the chefs started doing the same thing. It was like, Carlene will be serving chicken three ways. Ellen will be serving beef three ways. Keith will be serving beetroot three ways. How many ways can you serve a beetroot? <laughs> and I was intrigued by this. I thought this was amazing. What an amazing thing to do, to take one kind of idea and then spin it across a plate. But I'm from Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland, you can have pasta with a side of chips and bread. We've been doing carbs three ways for years. <laughs> carbs three ways is the only way we know how to eat. But this morning, I want to be inspired by my love of MasterChef the Professionals and my love of the parables, and I want to bring you a parable three ways. And I need to explain what I'm going to be doing this morning because this is not something I've normally done or something I've ever done before. So it's a new thing for me. But when this theme came about and Pete and Nikki asked me to preach, this is what God kept putting on my heart over and over again to do. And so this morning, I'm going to serve a really simple parable three different ways. I'm going to share three completely different interpretations of the same parable. And some of them, in ways, complement each other but in other ways, some of them contradict each other. And I'm okay with that. And I think, friends, we might need to get better at that. Because sometimes, in our rush to make everything fit, or to find easy answers, or to crush things into holes that aren't the right shape for them, to try and make it okay, I think we end up making a mess of it for people. Now, the guys at the back and the signers always get my notes, so they know what bits I keep in and what bits I leave out. And this bit's in italics, so I wasn't sure where we were going with it yet. But I'm going to say it. I believe there are people here this morning who haven't been able to take a step into faith because no one's ever engaged with them properly on the question, doesn't the Bible contradict itself? And you've always just been told, no, it doesn't. What a silly question. Move on. Friends, this morning, if that's you... I want to make you a promise that after the service this morning, I will listen to that question and engage with it 100% with you. Because if the only thing stopping you stepping into faith is the fact that no one's ever given you the chance to explore some of the things in the Bible that don't quite add up or make sense, then this morning I will be here after the service and after we do the fire alarm test. Spoiler alert. After we do that, I'll come back in here. And I will be willing to chat to you about that. Because if that's the only thing that's stopping you because Christians haven't been willing to go to that place with you, then first of all, we're sorry. And second of all, if you need to do that this morning, if that's the last barrier, let's, let's do it this morning. Let's break through and push through, okay? So some of them contradict each other. Some of them um, complement each other. But it's really important to say there isn't a right one. It's not like I'm going to present three and then go, can you believe some people believe in those other two? It was clearly this one all along. That's not how it ends. I'm going to present three completely different interpretations, and I'm going to invite us to step into the story like the people who would have heard it from Jesus would have done or the people who read it that little bit later on, or the people who heard it that little bit later on. So, shall we jump in? Yeah. Great. It's the parable of the mustard seed, and it's found in Matthew chapter 13, and it says this. He put before them another parable, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Two quick things. Every time I preach on parables, I show you this slide, because it really matters. Jesus told the parables in a real place and a real time to real people. And so this morning, I'm going to very, very gently pull the parable apart a bit to help us understand some of that context of who and where and why and when he was teaching this parable in the way it was. But the other thing I always say when I preach on the parables is that I remind myself and I remind you that the history is not the revelation, okay? The interesting factoids or the little bits of culture or a tiny bit about the Roman Empire, they are brilliant, like they're great and I love them. But there's a real danger that we end up becoming Jesus' studiers, not Jesus' followers. And if all we do this morning is come away with a few kind of historical facts and a little bit of information to make us sound smart in life group or like a scholar on social media next week, then I don't think we've done what we're here to do this morning. Because if the history doesn't connect to his story and then to our story, we miss the revelation all the way through. The parables are not just fun activities in pulling apart context. They are designed to impact our lives. Jesus told them because he wanted the impact of the lives of the real people at the real time in the real place. And the power of the parables is that they still do that today. So this isn't a history lesson. This is mustard served three ways. So here we go. Jesus starts by introducing the mustard seed right at the top of the passage. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So already there's a visual image for the people who were around there, which is that you've got um, this very small seed and you've got this kind of man planting it in a field. Now, this is a, a rural time. It's a kind of a, a context in which people understood how the land worked. It's fair to say if Jesus came today, he probably wouldn't tell stories about seeds and fields in Chelmsford in 2019. Because most of us would look as blankly at him as we would if someone got up here and started to tell you, you know, the ultimate kind of way to kind of grow a kind of a field of wheat, right? It's not what most of us do. Now, I understand there are a few people who would love that. I'm looking at all of you with the beautiful gardens, you guys. <laughs> but for me, that would be a disaster because we do not have a beautiful garden. We have a field of wheat, and I don't know how we got it. If anyone can help, let me know. But what Jesus does is he speaks to these people in this time in a way they understand. And then he says, it was the smallest of all seeds. And this raises a question, because it wasn't, and it isn't. Mustard seeds aren't the smallest seeds. Um, the, the black mustard, brassica niglis, there you go, there's a little bit of horticulture for you all this morning. I even had to Google how to pronounce it, just so you know how little I know about this. This is not the smallest seed. It's a ball of about one millimeter, a tiny black ball of one millimeter, the black mustard seed. But it's not the smallest seed that exists. And I love what happens when this kind of fact hits kind of the church. Because what's happened is you have this kind of uh, militant group of people who will say, well, that's it. Jesus can't be divine. Jesus can't be divine because it's not the smallest seeds. And if Jesus doesn't know seeds, he can't be divine. <laughs> and then you've got this other group of people over here. You'll notice I've moved to the right. This other group of people over here... Some of you like that way too much. <laughs> this other group of people over here who go, no, 
it was the smallest seed. In, no, it's the only seed. That, in fact, seeds have changed size. Black, they, have, they didn't used to be that size. Thousands of years ago, they were smaller than this. And you get in this point where you've got a group of people over here going, well, if Jesus doesn't know seeds, he can't be Jesus. And this group of people over here going, well, if they're not seeds, then they're not seeds. And I think, well, maybe Jesus wasn't trying to give a lecture on gardening. Because you know what blows my mind about these parables? They didn't happen. There was no seed. There was no field. There was no man. Like, we sometimes treat these stories like Jesus is like a newsreader. Like he's sharing something that he witnessed on the way down. Like, if he doesn't know seeds, he must be a bad newsreader. But friends, the truth is, Jesus is not a bad newsreader. He's a good news teller. And he tells through story. And so when he says it's the smallest of seed, he's not trying to let everyone know what the seed sizes are. He's not giving a kind of a graph of seeds in the first century. He needs to make the seed the smallest of seeds, because it is a small seed. So he just uses a bit of hyperbole, because that's what great storytellers do. Spoiler alert, I don't have a field of wheat. But you all think I do, right? <laughs> so he takes this idea of this tiny seed, and he says, the smallest of all seeds, like any great storyteller does. And then he does something amazing. You see, he then says, it grows in the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And so when I was taught this story as a child, or when I've heard this story since, I often get a vision like this next slide, like this, right? Is that what you see when you hear this story? Like tiny seed, massive tree. But this raises another question. Because mustard doesn't grow into trees. It grows into something more like this. Or even like this. So Jesus gets a group of people and he says, there's a man with the smallest of seeds that isn't the smallest of seeds that grows into a tree that doesn't look like a tree. And then we get this story 2,000 years later and go, what on earth was he on about? And here's my answer. I don't know. Oh my goodness, it feels so good to say that out loud. <laughs> Do you know how many of religious conflicts and arguments on Twitter and debates and church splits and families torn apart and things that go wrong could just be solved if we all learned to use the words, I don't know, a little bit more? Because friends, the truth is this morning, I'm going to give you three interpretations and they could all be wrong. Because I don't know. I don't know what Jesus was at telling this story. But I've got a few ideas. And if we're willing to go with them, if we're willing to step into them, if we're willing to wrestle with them, if we're willing to disagree on them, if we're willing to have a conversation about them, then I think maybe we might unleash the power of the parables in this church, in this city, in this nation, and in this world. So here's mustard served the first way. So Jesus says it grows into a tree. And for some people, this has always been the, the point of the story, was that you take this very small thing and it grows into this very huge thing. A small beginning leads to a large, public, monumental impact. We take our time, our talents, our gifting, all those things that feel small, we plant them into the right soil, 
and God takes it and grows it beyond our wildest dreams. Because mustard seeds can't grow into trees on their own. So by the power of God, our small things become really big things. And this morning I wonder if some of us just need to hear that message. Don't be fooled into thinking that the simple kids' church first way, route one, understanding of a parable is wrong just because it was easy. This is not a competition to see who can find the most complex answer to the question, although some of us treat Christianity like that sometimes. Me too. I wonder if some of us this morning just need to know that however small or insignificant or tiny or useless you feel right now, that there is a God who wants to do way more than is naturally possible. Because in the natural, mustard seed can't grow into trees. So if this mustard seed grew into a tree, something supernatural was happening. This morning, I wonder if you've come here feeling small. I wonder if you've walked through the doors going, I just couldn't do that. I could never be them. I don't even know why I come here. No one would notice if I didn't show up next Sunday. I wonder if you've walked in this morning feeling so tiny and insignificant that you weren't even sure if you were going to come at all. The simplest childlike understanding of this parable might be the one that speaks to your heart this morning. And I think that might help. Because I think if less, if less of us Christians acted small, we might have a bigger impact in the world. Let me be clear on what I mean by that. I think if we stopped believing and living small, I think people would understand how big our God is. Yeah. I think if we stopped getting caught up in the small and petty details, I wonder if people might be pointed to a bigger God that isn't interested in our petty arguments. I wonder if we find some security and stopped worrying about what we're not allowed to say or what we're not allowed to wear or what we're not allowed to talk about. I wonder if we just started living big whether we wouldn't point the world to a God that is so big we can't even imagine it yet. Friends, I wonder if you've come here feeling small. Because I believe this parable tells us that God wants to do something supernatural with us. That he wants to take our tiny, small seed and turn it into something that it could never be on its own. That's one way to understand mustard. Here's another one. So I've already explained that uh, mustard doesn't grow into trees. It doesn't do that. Um, but actually, it's, in some places, it's worse than that. In some parts of the world, mustard is actually designated as a weed, like literally a weed. In fact, there's this um, ancient philosopher called Pliny the Elder um, who lived between 23 and 79 AD. And he wrote this encyclopedia uh, called The Natural World. And in it, he wrote this about mustard seeds. So this was written in about AD 78, they think. But this is what he said. With its pungent taste and fiery effect, mustard is extremely beneficial for the health. It grows entirely wild, though it is improved by being transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it. As the seed, when it falls germinates at once. So we're talking very shortly after Jesus and probably around the time that some of the Gospels are being written. This is what's being written by the Roman Empire about mustard seeds. Maybe that's why Jesus talked about mustard seeds. 
Because what if, what if the kingdom isn't like a giant statuesque tree, but it's actually like an uncontrollable weed that wherever it goes, you just can't get rid of it? How does that sound this morning? Because I wonder if in that time and place of an empire, Jesus was letting people know that the kingdom didn't look like a mighty oak, but an uncontrollable, scrappy little weed. And I wonder in 2019, when sometimes church growth, competitive stats, monetized ministry, if Jesus might be letting us know that the kingdom doesn't look like a Fortune 500 company, but looks like a family on the move, growing wherever it goes. I wonder if in a time of Insta-Christian idols, evangelicals, and, and seemingly endless desire to get a book published, Jesus might be letting us know that the kingdom doesn't need your advertising strategy, but it spreads like a weed, because as Pliny the Elder says, as the seed, <laughs> when it falls, germinates at once. I wonder if for some of us we've become so obsessed with upward growth, we need to be reminded that the kingdom grows best when it grows out, not up. I wonder if for some of us we're so caught in the next big thing that we forget that the kingdom can't be the next big thing because it's always on the move. I wonder if some of us have become so obsessed with how tall we can grow or how big we can become, we've forgotten it's about how far we can reach instead. See, I don't think the kingdom's about tall, beautiful, remarkable, but rather about, perhaps in this interpretation, how deep and wide a weed can go. When I spoke on justice back in September, I asked the question, what if it's not how big we can go, but how small we're willing to go? What if this parable isn't about miraculous growth, but about organic width? A seed that just can't help but grow everywhere it goes. What if the kingdom we're meant to be part of building isn't some headline-grabbing, attention-seeking one, but a series of small actions that seed and seed and seed and seed and seed and seed? Do you know, whenever I see people write about, you'll never see this on the news, and they put some story about something that's happened, I sometimes just say, praise God. I don't need to see it on the news. I don't need the news to validate what I believe. I don't need everyone to see a news report about something. What I praise God for is the fact that that healing, that miracle, that thing has happened, and the people around it have seen it, and the people around those people have seen it, and the people around those people have seen it, and the people around those people have seen it. There's a reason we have ripples on the wall, because whenever you do that, it grows and grows and grows. Your story is like a seed that lands and then touches someone else and lands and touches someone else and lands and touches someone else. And while some of us have become so obsessed with growing like trees so we can stand like monuments and be on the news, Jesus says, what if it's like an uncontrollable weed that will never make a headline, but will also never stop growing? Weeds don't make the news, folks. Praise God. So that's one way to interpret this parable. Here's the final one. Right at the end of the parable, Jesus says these words. He says, So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I love this. Okay? 
13 words. I know some of you are counting, so I'll give you a second. Because <laughs> I would be. I would be counting. If he can't get 13 words right, everything he said is wrong. <laughs> no, there's 12 words. There's always been 12 words. I've never done. 13 words. Do you want to know how far the spectrum of theology goes on these 13 words? Okay, you ready for this? For some people, the birds of the air represent the angels and the angelic host. So Jesus was referring to angels of heaven. For some people, birds of the air represent demonic forces. This 13-word passage could mean anything from angels to demons. And you wonder why I'm offering to talk to people about the Bible at the end of the service. <laughs> angels over here or demons over here. And we don't know what Jesus was talking about. He might have been talking about angels. He might have been talking about demons. He might have just been getting a kick out of the fact that we're going to think it's both. We just don't know. But here's what I think this morning. Here's my mustard served a third way. I wonder, I wonder if this parable is just an invitation. Steve spoke so beautifully about what it feels like to be burdened by what God asks you to do. And I wonder if this morning we're meant to look at a story and see birds and realize that Jesus just meant birds. Birds that nest, that make a home and a shelter and find a place to call home. You see, sometimes I think we treat Jesus like a sort of half-decent line manager. Have you ever had a half-decent line manager? Like, they're always there if you need a chat, but they're not so keen if you're 10 minutes late every day. But, you know, they'd overlook the old late arrival because they're sort of cool. You know, like David Brent, right? They're sort of boss friend, you know, in that kind of middle ground. But ultimately, we see Jesus as this kind of line manager who is 100% focused on getting the job done and calls us to get in line so we can get the job done. And I wonder if this parable points to a kingdom that does something else. You see, while we might be comfortable singing about God wanting to use us, I wonder if this parable reminds us that God wants to invite us. That actually the invitation of God is to join a kingdom that he's already planted and is building and growing. That actually the invitation of this parable isn't to get busy, but to get nested. To come and make a home. To come into a kingdom that's growing and always on the move. To come into a kingdom that might be big or might be wide, that might be a tree or might be a weed, but is still ultimately God's. I wonder if this morning this parable is just an invitation to come, to come and just nest and to rest and make our home in it rather than making it our job. I wonder if you need to hear that invitation this morning. Are you tired of feeling like there's always more to do? Are you worn out, but somehow still feeling like you're not doing enough? Are you exhausted with the programs and the rotas and the Bible reading plans and the courses and the schemes and the meetings and the meetings and the meetings and the meetings? Because I've been in that place. Maybe this morning this parable is reminding you that Jesus invites us to make his kingdom our home, not our workplace. Don't get me wrong, there's always going to be stuff to do. But when was the last time you nested in the kingdom? 
when was the last time you rested in the kingdom? I can hear it already. I can hear the voices. It's okay for you, Matt. But my calling, my calling is to be active and busy and doing things. That's okay for you, Mike. That worked for you. But, but, but how will anything get done if I don't turn up and do it? I wish I could do that, Matt. I wish, I wish I could nest or rest, but it just wouldn't get done if I'm not there. Have you ever noticed that for some people, God's brilliance stops when their diary runs out? Have you ever noticed that? That for some people, like, God is awesome as long as they're there too? Like, God is somehow symbiotic? Like, he's just a wingman? <laughs> like, God's amazing, but unfortunately I'm busy, so God won't be here this week. Like, what? Can you imagine singing that song? <laughs> Challenge accepted. Let's write it. Like, what's that? What if this is an invitation to nest and rest in the kingdom of God? To choose to invest in making it our home, not our project? Because it's never been our project. <laughs> That's one way to interpret this parable. That's three ways to interpret this parable. And there's loads more. Like, loads more. In fact, if we went around this room, I'm pretty sure everyone could come up with one or other. Try to stay away from the angels and demons if you can. It's a dark place on the internet, I promise you. You don't want to go down those paths. So I've served you mustard three ways this morning. And I wonder if any of them are what you need to hear right now. Maybe you came here thinking that your life was too small, your offering was too tiny, or you came here with a preconceived notion of what was possible. Mustard seeds can't grow into trees and someone like me could never be needed, wanted, loved in the kingdom. Maybe you came here with that sense of, I'm just a mustard seed who could never be anything more. Well, there's this ancient parable Jesus told that wants to let you know about an unexpected tree that grew in a way no one said it could. So if you need to hear that in your heart this morning, the parable of mustard seed might just be for you. Or maybe you came here this morning caught up in your own growth. You've become obsessed with how you're doing it, how it's going, how many followers, how much time, is it working, is it all going to plan, am I right? Maybe you came here frustrated because it's not going the way you thought. I thought by now I'd be doing that. I thought by now we'd have more people there. I thought by now it would be bigger. I thought by now it would be better. I thought by now I'd be doing this. Well, there's this ancient parable that Jesus told where it turns out the kingdom doesn't grow like a big tree anyway. It grows like an uncontrollable weed and drops and seeds and germinates everywhere it lands. Or maybe you came here this morning because you just didn't know how not to. All of this Sunday morning is just another part of the routine. Another job, another task ticked off. You're getting ticked off because you've had to do another task. Maybe you've turned up here this morning and you just didn't know how not to turn up here this morning. Well, there's this ancient parable Jesus told where it turns out that the kingdom offers an unconditional invitation to nest, to rest, to make it your home. So what do you need to hear this morning? Because I don't know what this parable is meant to be about. I don't know what Jesus was getting at, or what he meant, or what he was trying to achieve through it. But what I do know is that the Jesus who told a story in a specific time and a specific place and to a specific people 
wants that story to touch your life today in this place and with these people. Because that, my friends, is the power of the parables. In a few minutes, we're going to have our fire alarm test. But I've got a few minutes, I think. There's nothing like ending a message with a fire alarm test. <laughs> but we're going to do it, and we're going to do it well for our good friend Al, who's going to take us through it in a minute. But before we do that, we've got, we've got a few minutes. And so I know sometimes we have different ways of responding to things. Sometimes we stand, sometimes we, we might kind of come to the front, or we might do something physical. This morning, I want us just to do something really different. And if this isn't for you, that's absolutely fine. But in the next few minutes, I wonder if you would just turn to someone around you that you feel comfortable with. Or maybe turn to some people that you don't feel comfortable with, but you fancy getting to know this morning. It's entirely your choice. I wonder if you would just turn to some people and just answer the question, what did this parable say to you this morning? And please use the word parable. Please, please pronounce it properly if you can. So let's do that for a few minutes, then I'm going to pray, and then my good friend Al's going to take us to a fire alarm. Take a few minutes, what did this parable say to you this morning? Yeah, me too. Thanks. <clears throat> Friends, I need, to, I need to sadly bring it to a close. Um, do, you know, do you know one of the things I love most about these stories is that sometimes in our heads, we, we treat Jesus' parable telling like a kind of a somber funeral. Like everyone turned up, heard the message, and then walked away silently. And there's just no way that was true. Jesus finished speaking, and this happened. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of our faith. That someone stops talking and then everyone else starts talking and somewhere in that the truth becomes known, right? And then another truth becomes known and then another truth becomes known and someone goes, I didn't know it was that. That's how it works. So friends, thank you for engaging with each other but please keep engaging with each other. Um, 
Like I said, I'll come back in after the fire thing. If you want to talk to me, that would be absolutely no problem at all. But keep talking about these parables, particularly if you're in a life group. If you're not in a life group, we can get you in a life group. Speak to the man here at the front, Mr. F.A., and we will find a way to get you engaged and in these conversations. But I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand over to my dear friend. Father God, we thank you that you are the greatest storyteller we've ever known. Father God, we thank you that the stories you, you tell don't just help us understand what happened, but how things happen. God, we thank you that these parables, these stories become real, not because at some point in time someone really planned to see, but God, every day we are called to be part of this story. So we give you thanks that you are the greatest storyteller we've ever known, that your son came and told some of the best stories we'll ever hear, and that your spirit wants to keep our story moving. Father God, we give you praise for the power of the parables. We thank you that we have the freedom to be in this place and hear them and talk about them. And God, we thank you that they just refuse to be tied down or held in a chair or made to mean one thing because we want it to. God, your truth like your kingdom spreads like a weed. And everywhere it drops and lands, new things happen. So Father God, whether today we have felt too small and need to know that supernatural growth that you want to give us, or whether we've arrived here with ideas too big and you want to remind us that your kingdom spreads, or whether this morning we've arrived here too tired and you want to invite us to call this kingdom home. Father God, plant that message deep in our heart and may it grow and develop and become something beautiful, powerful, uncontrollable, unexplainable, and unconditional in our hearts this week. Because God, the the parables, they explain just how powerful you are for us. So we pray this through your name of your son, Jesus. And we thank you that we get to enjoy and debate and learn from and hear his words today. Amen.